Hey friends, welcome to Garden Church Podcast. This is a series called Jesus People. We are looking at who Jesus is and how we become more like him. Jesus People are God's strategy for transforming the world. We hope you enjoy this podcast. For more information, go to garden.church. Hey, true story. We are here as a church because of this prayer model. We believe everyone gets to play. So if you are a Christian, you can hear the voice of God and you can pray with effectiveness. You know, this this is kind of what we're after. We're in a series called Jesus People. Um, and this is for half of you that weren't here last week. We are, um, that wasn't a sli- slide at all, but I get it. It was dangerous. Um, <laughs> I've been talking to pastors around that I'm friends with. And I was like, how did the hurricane get politicized? It was like, it was like COVID. My response was like the, the news fear that was there. And then the environment in the air, as I was getting one thing of celery and everyone's stocking up on water. Um, I was like, there is a fear in the air. And I just, I want to say like, it worried me for 2024 if this is how we're going to react, and I get a hurricane's legit. Like, okay, yeah, there's something coming. We got, we didn't know what was going to happen. When we called HB uh, uh, Fire Department, they're like, hey, this is just weather, by the way. Uh, <laughs> like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll keep gathering. Um, I just realized, like, there's so much fear that is is in the news and in the media and the social media. And then, and then when you're getting text messages from people who are out of the state, they're like, what are you doing? You know, are you okay? And I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, I'm going surfing. Like, this is perfect. <laughs> like, it's it's rain, you know? Like, uh, cool. Uh, I was just thinking about, like, we need to be way more resilient as the church. Not to say what happened was wrong, whether you stayed home or not, but to, to recognize there is an obsession that the media has with fear. And then it becomes a social thing that it's not even media. We're watching our friends and we're like, are we getting, are we wrong? Like we need to be resilient with Jesus. Does that make sense? So in this series, which is a really uh, big attempt to form us into the image of Jesus, this is a discipleship series. And 24 weeks, we're talking through themes of the theology or narrative or belief system of Jesus. Like we want to believe the things that Jesus believed about the world. And so when I talk about prayer, he believes you can become the kind of person that can ask for anything and it will be given to you. Like that's the bar he sets for you with all of your pettiness, with all of your insecurity and brokenness and do I belong? Does God really love me? That stuff you carry around. He's like, come on, son. Come on, daughter. Not only do I love you, but you're a co-heir with Jesus, according to Romans 8. Co-heir, meaning you share the authority of Christ. What? No, that revelation says that we will reign with Jesus. Just read Revelation. Read Genesis 1 and 2. This is what we're after, becoming the kinds of people that reflect Jesus into the world. How are we doing? So last week I talked about the, the ministry of Jesus, the paradigm, the thing he talks about more than anything else. It's the kingdom of God, what life looks like when God's in charge. And not only did he talk about it, he demonstrated this reality. He offers his disciples the ability to live as though heaven is here and now. I talked through the theology of that. And then I ended with this idea that he gives to the religious folks in the gospel of John. He says, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. Like you can't, he says, you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and the spirit. In other words, you have to surrender the way you think the world works. You have to surrender your mindset, your body, your emotions, your life. You have to be baptized in the presence of God in order to get the reality of what God desires for you. And surrender requires yielding to God's presence. He uses this phrase, born again. And so last week we called our church to be born again. And in the first service, it was just a different vibe for whatever reason. Maybe it was just me. 
In the second service, there was, in both services, there was a clear response in the room. God did something. But I wanted to start there going, I feel like every week we need to come and yield ourselves to God again, fully. I, I made the statement like, I don't, I don't want to play church anymore. I don't want to mess around. I don't want to waste time. I don't want to teach things that are like going to help you have a, a pleasant life. I want to teach things that Jesus taught. And when he teaches about the kingdom, it's going to cost everything in your life. This isn't some Jesus plus all the other things in my life. Or I come to church an hour or two hours a week to worship. It's a total surrender of your existence to God. And when you lay down that life that you've come to know, he gives you abundance. He reframes what the world is and how we interact in the world and what it means to flourish. This is what I want. That's what it means to be a disciple. So how many of you know if you want that kind of life that he promises, it, it's going to require like a total renovation of your existence. Amen? Like this isn't like I need Jesus and some cool things he teaches. This is like if you want what he's after, if you really get the New Testament, you realize that it's going to require your every ounce of being, every atom in your body, the cellular, cellular level of your existence is going to worship God. That's what we're after. I don't know how to put that on like a clever slide. Um, <laughs> I want you to know that there's more for you. That for some reason, uh, Jesus needs better PR. Like he, what we've been fed today is a kind of church life that doesn't look like the New Testament. And what we need is to recognize that he wants everything for you. He's given everything for you. And he wants you to live in perfect loving relationship with him and with yourself. Imagine what it would look like for you to walk around in a solid sense of self, an identity anchored in what is reality. Not the trauma, not the dysregulated version triggered self that you've carried around because of life, not the feared insecurity shaped by culture and your past, but the identity God wants to bestow on you. And from that place of freedom, from relationship to God, you have a solid sense of self, a real relationship with yourself. You can now have healthy relationships with everyone. This is kind of the big picture, so that's what we're doing. How do we get there? It's going to take some time. We need a new foundation. So each week, we're teaching a theme. So we're going to rotate three ideas, the, the ministry or the theology of Jesus, the narratives of Jesus that we want to adopt as our narratives and belief systems. The following week will be some form of spiritual discipline or practice that Jesus embodied in his life. And then the following week, we'll see a characteristic or fruit of Jesus. And we're just going to rotate this as we go. So last week, I talked about the kingdom. Today, I'm going to talk about a spiritual discipline from Jesus' life. Are you guys good with that? Okay, so what are spiritual disciplines? Put it simply, the spiritual disciplines are practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create time and space for us to access the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and in doing so be transformed from the inside out. We take on habits of Christ that we see his habits lived out in the New Testament so that we can not just get good at doing the things he did, but that we can create habits that shape our being so that we can naturally think and do the things that Jesus did without having to think about it. It's like, I, I talk about Karate Kid, but I guess there's a remake of the Karate Kid. Mr. Miyagi, the real one, <laughs> trains, you're like, the, the one with Jaden Smith or whatever. Yeah, no, not that one. Daniel Russo. He goes to learn karate, and he, he's forced to wax cars. You know this. Even if you haven't seen it, wax on, wax off. And he's training. He doesn't know he's training. 
He's so frustrated by the chore, he doesn't have the vision for what Mr. Miyagi is doing. So that after being exhausted to where his arms cannot do this movement anymore, he has built in muscle memory so that when someone tries to strike, he's like, hi He's like, hi Like, wait. He's learning these movements that he doesn't have to think about. This is what spiritual disciplines are for. In themselves, they are not the ends. They are the means to the ends. They are designed for us to take on so that we have union with Jesus. And I've said this before. Right now, we're in a state where we see the, the danger of teaching spiritual disciplines in our culture and context in the church is we see them as the ends. Oh, I'm dealing with this issue. I'll find a practice to fix this problem. I'm struggling with my anger. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fast to fight my anger. That's not how it works. I mean, it's, it's partial truth. It's partial truth. Yes, there is some truth in those things. But the point isn't a self-project that these disciplines are going to give you the life. It is, it, is the, it is a means for where the life flows. There's more. But so it's like people who work, like for example, I talked about this last week. Um, I see spiritual disciplines are, as the fundamentals to a sport. Like I used to play basketball. I was so decent. <laughs> and like when I was a little kid, I was like first grade playing NJB. And you learn like this is a dribble. This is not a dribble. This is called what? Great. You know that. Chest pass, bounce pass. This is out of bounds. This is the free throw line. This is the three-point line. This is the half court. Now, when you're playing basketball, you learn the fundamentals in the beginning. Now, are the fundamentals the focus as you get better? Of course not. Like, could you imagine Kobe back in the day going, okay, what is the bounce pass again? What it's... No, no, no. He learns the fundamentals so he can play without thinking. He practices 100 free throws so that when it comes time and the pressure's on and the tempters come, the natural response is what Jesus would do. This is what spiritual disciplines are. You could put it more poetically, um, and Dallas Willard did, so I'll read him. He says, the, discipline, the disciplines are activities of mind and body purposely, purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself as we yield ourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and our members are instruments of righteousness unto God, as Romans 6.13 puts it. So we are going to practice spiritual disciplines. Now, every spirit, one more thing about the spiritual disciplines and then we're going to get in today's talk. Um, I see spiritual disciplines today as counter-formation. So I believe we are all being formed by the world. We wake up every day without having to think about it. There is a river that is moving us fast down the stream of cultural formation. We check our phone. We have habits of checking out via email, Slack, text, newsfeed, uh, online shopping, Amazon Prime. Like it's so easy on a device to just be fill our time and distract ourselves. It's not just that. We, we stream all the time. We're streaming all sorts of narratives and belief systems that are shaped by a world um, mach formation machine. Netflix has an agenda. I'm going to quote the CEO in just a second. Disney has an agenda. They're like, oh, yes, it does. <laughs> and it, it used to be less obvious. It's far more obvious today. And we could talk about the cultural wars, Bud Light and Target, and we can get into that conversation, but we know the world will be the world. 
But do you know you are being bent in the image of the world without having to think about it? You wake up and you're, you're like, oh, I'm going to fight it politically. They're winning as you watch their movies. As you spend 45 minutes scrolling, mindlessly sending cat memes to your fr- family and friends or Christian memes or whatever that you send. I don't mean to attack all the, you know, demonic memes of cats, but the, <laughs> amen, all the brothers, in the, yeah, amen. Look, cats are fine. They're just the result of the fall and God's going to restore it. <laughs> I'm just, look, okay, some of you think I'm serious. I'm not, I'm, I'm not serious. Look, I love dogs and I really, <laughs> I think cats are okay, you know? They are designed to kill. Like they are literally the best killing machine God created, cats. So it's quite phenomenal that you're obsessed with them. Um, anyways, moving on. So you're formed by culture. You're formed. So spiritual disciplines are intentional practices that are counterformational disciplines. So that you say, if the default is the stream of culture, I'm going to step out of the stream and do what is unnatural in the beginning, at first. It feels awkward, it's uncomfortable, but eventually you get the hang of it and then you're formed by disciplines that Jesus lived. So our culture right now, I'm just gonna highlight one that pertains to this, the, the actual discipline I'm gonna talk about. Um, we're living in a moment in history that is unprecedented. Like 2007 will be the equivalent of the time in the 1400s when the Gutenberg Press was created. It will be that, it is that significant. 2007 is when the iPhone was released. And with the iPhone came a different economy, a different worldview. The app store was born. Access to to information is no longer at home or on a laptop. You now have all the information available to you in your pocket. You have infinity and unrestricted access to all sorts of technology. And we have a generation that's been formed by this product that is relatively new. And this worldview that's been being shaped by a digital lens, the economists call it the attention economy, where we live in a moment where the smartest people in the world coming out of the best colleges in the world are being hired by these massive godlike tech companies with so much power. And their, their wisdom and intelligence and their brilliance is being used to get you addicted to their products, to keep you, your attention on their apps. It's, we know the, the science behind the phone. We know the way media is now functioning 24-7. Like, it's absolutely fascinating. And what scholars call it is this. They say that we live in a moment of time where we are in what's called continuous partial attention. So where the economy is built on your attention and apps are designed to keep your attention and focus, we live in a world where now you can watch a movie at home streaming while sending emails and checking out on Instagram. I don't know anyone that just watches a show without their phone anymore. Continuous partial attention. We live in a moment where you're at home watching your kids swim and you're checking out on social media and you're texting and you're voxing or voxering, you're, you're doing Marco Polo. We're communicating to the masses. It's continuous partial attention. Now, the CEO of Netflix years ago, this is years ago, was talking, uh, he was asked about his um, competition as the owner of Netflix. And now they're, they're like, now there's so many streaming platforms, but Netflix was the first. And he said, as he talked about competition, he says, you get a show or a movie, you're dying to watch it and end up staying up late at night. So we actually compete with sleep. And triumphantly, he said, and we're winning. The CEO at of Netflix said when asked about Disney platform and, and HBO, he said, they're, they're not our competitors. Sleep is our competition and we're winning. We live in a moment of time where your attention is the most valuable thing. Where the most brilliant people and the most powerful corporations in the world are trying to grab your attention, where you're distracted, where you're living in a state of of anxiety and stress and burnout and continuous partial attention, or even sitting here, you're feeling the the need to check your phone. Is it not a, a habit formed? 
by your continuous practice of that habit. Ronald Rollheiser said, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. And here's the point I'm trying to get. We live in a culture that's robbing us of our ability to be present. It's addicting. And we are not only disabled from being present to our other people, we have lost the ability to be present to ourselves and more importantly, present to God. And in that process, the world we live in has robbed us of our soul. So the question is, is there a practice from Jesus' life that could set us up to thrive as disciples of Jesus in this chaotic, over-busy, digitally distracted, noisy world? And the answer is yes. <laughs> so Matthew chapter 3, let's look at the Bible together. Let's anchor the text in the scriptures. Matthew chapter 3, if you have a Bible, we're going to look at a couple of passages from the New Testament around the life habits of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of God. And what I love about the kingdom is it is the all-encompassing um, uh, vision that God has for every disciple, for every church, for everyone that says yes to Jesus. You now enter into the kingdom as a follower of Jesus, expanding heaven on earth wherever you go, bringing life, healing, resurrection, power. And, uh, and the mission is going to be great and exhausting. But then to counter that, that good thing of the kingdom expansion, Jesus models for us habits that help us sustain life in the kingdom. Matthew 3, it says this, as soon, verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized and he went up out of the water, at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, this is my boy. I love him. And with him, I am well pleased. You just close your eyes as we hear this word. The first thing Jesus hears before he does any performance, before he preaches a sermon, before, before he casts out demons, before he raises the dead and does discipleship and community and all this, before he does anything, he receives his identity. And in the church world, we like to perform our way to Christ's likeness. We can't. We can't earn the Father's love. And this, we, we as, as sons of, of God, as as brother uh, as children of god we we receive this phrase from the father this is my boy this is my girl whom i love and with him i'm well pleased lord would you just release that abba experience over our church amen it goes on it says then so after receiving his identity and being baptized in the power uh, in the holy spirit it says then jesus was led by the spirit who led jesus by the it was the spirit that led jesus into the wilderness just highlight the word wilderness to be tempted who led jesus to be tempted the holy spirit where he is tempted by the devil and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry yes he was the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, if what God spoke over your life is true, prove it. This will always be your temptation to prove who you really are. Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answers, written man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is the temptation narrative, but I just want to highlight this thing. Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit. He receives his identity, and then he goes straight into the wilderness. Now, the word for wilderness is the Greek word eremos. Eremos is translated the desert, deserted place, the desolate place, the solitary place, the quiet place, the desert, the lonely place, the salt... These are all the phrases for that uh, word eremos in the New Testament. It is the solitary place. It's found in all of the gospels as a theme in Jesus's life. It's in the solitary place that Jesus is grounded and centered and uns uh, unshakable and rooted and reminded of his identity and calling. It's silence and solitude in the solitary place that connects us to our and ourselves to God and grounds us in the things that matter. This is why we will see in the New Testament over and over again, Jesus is compelled to go to the solitary place. Now, I used to read the, the temptation narratives as Jesus going into a place where he was weak. He's alone, fasting, 
and then the enemy comes. But what you don't have is the lens of the kingdom, which just flips it upside down. It's in the lonely place that Jesus finds his power. It's in the, away from the distractions and the demands of ministry and the needing to prove himself outside of his deep relationship with God that he's anchored and it's in this place that he has power to do the will of the Father. He will over and over again have these encounters. I'm just going to show you this. Go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Just go to, uh, just go right if you're new to the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 1. Mark, uh, Mark's gospel shorter. And in Mark chapter one, you have the first day of Jesus's ministry. He's baptized. He goes and gets testing. Um, he, he goes in, he gets tested by the enemy. And then he has his first day of ministry. He preaches the gospel. He calls his disciples. He casts out demons. He heals all these people. And then ver uh, verse 35. So the first day he does everything. Casts out demons, heals the sick, preaches the gospel, calls his disciples all in one day. After 40 days of being alone, he has one day of ministry. And then verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they explained, you're so successful. We need to make a conference around your platform and steward your influence Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. Oh. Let's go somewhere else so that ne the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. One day of performing fulfilling the will for which he came to reveal the father and establish the kingdom. He does all that and after one day he's like, "Nope, I got to get away with the Lord." I got to be with my dad. Matthew, or go to Mark 6. Let's keep going. Uh, Mark 6 is another story. I'm just showing you the themes. Uh, there's, in this story, Jesus uh, gives his disciples the authority to cast out demons, to do what he was doing. And they go off and they begin to drive out demons and heal the sick and do all the ministry. And then uh, John the Baptist is killed. And in verse 30, it says the apostles gathered around Jesus to report and reported to him all they had done and taught. So they're bringing their reports. We did this, Jesus, we did that. We cast out demons, we did all these things. And Jesus says, uh, and then it goes on verse 31, then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, Eremos, quiet place, and get some rest. Hey, let's go on a mini retreat. Let's go get some pizza, Let's go tell, we'll, we'll tell some stories on the beach about what you're going to share stories. We'll just get away. You know, that's the plan. All right, it's time for a break. I'm going to head home, chill out, most of us. That means I'm going to watch a movie and eat some food. Is it not? Our recovery time is I deserve this. I need to escape reality. Jesus says, come and be by yourselves. Let's go. And they haven't had a chance to eat. And then verse 33, it says, many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he didn't say, get away from me, all you needy people with all your needs. I need a break. I haven't had lunch yet. He was, had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Disciples are hangry, wanting to do this mini retreat, you know, at the Hyatt Regency on PCH next to the pool, you know, get a nice little cold beverage and sit, listen to some music, pool, pool vibes, check out. It's not what happens. They begin to minister. I love how serious, this is so real, is it not? They're longing to go to their Ramos, but it's interrupted by forces that are out of, the, out of their control. You set, you set time to pray and your boss calls you. You set time to pray and your kid wakes up earlier than you do. You don't get to light the candle and read with some music on in the background. You get the crying baby. You set time, you get that text from your parent. You get that text from your um, friend that they need you or you forget that a bill is due so you get online to pay the bill. Next thing you know, life happens. That's not the end of the story though. Look at this. Jesus needs some time alone. Verse 45, after he feeds the 5,000, it says, 
Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He didn't lose Eremos. He didn't lose the solitary place. He made space, even after an exhausting time where he needed rest, he knew that real rest comes from his connection to the Father. One more passage, and we'll, we'll drill, drill it home in the last few minutes we have together. Luke 5, verse 15, it says, uh, let me just say this real quick. Luke talks about the solitary place of Ramos nine times in his gospel. And it is, it is almost as though uh, what Luke shows you is the busier Jesus gets, the more influential he gets, the more he draws, withdraws, the more he finds space for the lonely place. It says in verse of Luke chapter 5, verse 15, I'm just picking this one. It said, Yet news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You can chart in the Gospel of Luke Jesus' life by two access points. The busier and more popular the, the demand of Jesus, the more he frequented, frequented the lonely places. Oftentimes we get so busy at work or with our family or our life, the first thing that goes is our silence and solitude. Isn't that true? Like the busier you get, the easier it is to slip away from the quiet time with God, that secret place, that solitary place. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do that I, have to, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. We joke about this, but isn't this a glimpse of the reformer's habits? It's not that he's just challenging the corruption of the Catholic Church and their indulgences and their way they're led outside of the scriptures and the authority to the priests versus the scriptures. Instead, he, uh, we see that reformer spirit planting churches, building up Luther, uh, the Lutheran church, moving, spreading gospel around the world. And yet he says in the busyness he creates, he, I would say he carves out of the granite of life time alone with God. Um, the solitary space, place was a regular part of rhythm for Jesus Christ. He found ways to sneak off in the busyness with all of the pressing needs, with all of the demands for what it meant to be the Messiah. He found space to be alone. He was not a victim to the demands and the call on his life. He was a powerful person who knew the priority of solitary uh, place, the, the secret place with God. He says when he teaches in Matthew chapter six, he teaches his disciples to pray. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The practice of Jesus that I'm talking about is called silence and solitude. This is the practice that every follower of Jesus must practice. I want to call it the secret place. I want you to, or the hidden place. Every disciple of Jesus needs to learn to love the secret place with God. We are, some of us are good at the corporate gatherings. I just want to say something real quick uh, to the younger generation that's coming up, that I, the things that I'm seeing. I'm seeing an obsession with the corporate worship space. Nothing wrong with the corporate worship. We need to bring our very best to the corporate worship. But what I'm seeing is Sunday mornings at Garden, Sunday nights at this church, Monday nights in Costa Mesa, Wednesday nights here. And it's literally your, your time is filled with just a corporate expression of worship. And we get really good at the effects of corporate worship and we miss out on the private or the secret or the hidden place with God. We need to be experts in the hidden place with God. Do you know the power of the Holy Spirit in the hidden place? You might get emotional when the song hits you in the right place here with all these people, but does God's presence show up when you're alone with him? Most of us don't even have five minutes to be alone with God. How will you challenge the current of culture with five minutes? How will you remind yourself that you are a co-heir with Christ, daddy's favorite, 
with five minutes when the rest of your life is four hours of screen time influenced by your emails, by the streaming platforms, by the, the effects of your work life and the relationships around you. You have to carve out secret place. And it's in the secret place that God rewards you. The Father rewards you in that place. You, those who dwell in the house of the Lord, who take up refuge under his wing. The church needs to recover quiet time. Let's make quiet time great. Again. Let's make it a hashtag that just takes over. I want you to recover a, a lonely place with the Father. That is the, the space where your life in the Spirit will flourish. From the mouth of babes, say amen. Isn't it interesting that in the hurriness, in the busyness, in this cultural moment of everyone is tired and burnt out and distracting themselves to oblivion, that the, the, the first thing Jesus models for us is just be alone with God. Silence and solitude. Let me break this down just a little bit, give you some practicals, okay? So it's, what is silence and solitude? It's an intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. Call it hidden place, call it the secret place. There are two dimensions of silence in silence and solitude. There's external silence and there's internal silence. The external silence is where we go uh, somewhere where there's no noise. There's no music in our headphones. There's no TV blaring in the background. There's no roommate watching Netflix down the hall. It's when you're out in nature or you're up early in the mo- morning or up at late at night. Some of us have to do this at night. I see that. And you're alone by yourselves in the quiet. I'll talk about stage of life in a moment, but that's the general idea, that you create space. You're not always listening to music You're not listening to a podcast or a devotion over your headphones. You're becoming, you're carving out of the granite of life, your life, space to be quiet externally, but also internally. There's external noise and there's internal noise. There's mental clutter. There's fantasy. There's worry. There's that thought. Squirrel. And that silence is an intentional practice to learn to be quiet in your soul for the purposes of communion with God. Solitude is not the same as isolation. Wayne Cordero says this, there's a difference between isolation and solitude. They may contain similar characteristics, but in reality, they are worlds apart. Solitude is chosen separation for refining your soul. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the first. It's in silence and solitude that we decompress from the noise and the chaos and the stimulation of our modern society. We slow down long enough to actually feel our bodies, to feel our souls. How many of you um, have ever gone through like a therapy uh, session or a coaching session or maybe you're doing yoga and your crazy spiritual yoga practice is like get in touch with your body? Anyone know? You don't have to confess the idolatry part, but anyone want to? Anyone? Like I was, I was in a therapy session and she's like, why don't you just close your eyes and, you know, try to feel your body. And I realized I don't ever feel my body. I have the kind of personality that just, uh, and I've talked about this, like you just go faster and faster until you get sick and burn out. Anyone else like this? Like every holiday, for whatever reason, you get sick. Like, why do I always get sick at Christmas? Because you slow down long enough to let your body rest. And it's, it's been giving you, you need to change the oil lights the whole time. And it's been flashing. There's something wrong with the engine and you've been not paying attention to it long enough to now you burn out. Anyone here hearing that for the first time going, that's, my, that's me, oh my gosh. Some of you are in this room and you're not even aware that you're, you're depressed. You're not aware that you're, you actually are alone and feeling lonely that your body's filled with anxiety. You just don't know that that's anxiety because you've been doing it so long. You've, you've allowed your body to, to just stay in a state of fight or flight for so long that you don't, know what it's, you don't even know what it means to feel at peace. I was feeling my body and she was saying, okay, just go from the top to your toes. And, and, she, and I'm like, oh, I got 
my jaw is really tight. I can't, I'm popping my jaw. I have TMJ issues. My neck is super tight. My hips sore. My legs hurting. I have a headache. I didn't even realize. I'm like, no wonder I'm irritable. It's not some demon under the, you know, trying to attack me. My body's tired and sore and I need to rest. Just recently I was talking to somebody who's doing this new diet and his anxiety flared and he was having panic attacks and uh, and he was telling me, you know, he's having all these issues and he's going through therapy and all these things. And I was like, man, that's crazy. That's all that's going on. Well, you know, let's pray. And then he tells me he's doing a new diet. And I'm like, time out. Did you ask your doctors about this? You're overcoming depression, addiction, and anxiety. And now you're withdrawing from sugar. How do you feel about that? And I was like, hey, just relax a little bit. Have some sugar. <laughs> and keep fighting the battles. He did right then in 30 minutes that he's like, I don't feel that panic anymore. <laughs> it's not all voodoo, guys. Your body matters. And if you don't slow down, I don't mean voodoo, okay? <laughs> if you don't slow down and feel your body and pay attention to it, you're going to miss how, how you as a soul requires rest and alone time. And it's in that solitude that the stimulation comes down. And we, we, we slow down to feel. And it could take literally, you can train yourself to where you can be in touch with your body in 20 seconds. Even right now, you're like, okay, I'm going to feel. I'm, we're doing this. And you're now aware that you might have anxiety. I talked about some of you not knowing the depression and anxiety. I think we're going to pray for you today. You're, if you're like me, someone who just charges and then gets sick every six months into where you sleep, you know, 48 hours. Is there anyone like that? Will you just raise your hand? Like you just charge and then every few months or maybe it's once or twice a year, you just get a sickness and you just sleep for like 20, you, know, you sleep all day, a couple days and then you're feeling better. Anyone want to just, I just want to pray for you. We just raise your hand right now. Raise it up high. It's your chance. You want to be maybe perhaps experience healing over the season. Would you put a hand on the person that's raising a hand real quick? We're going to pray. We're here to do the work of the kingdom of God together. And we have brothers and sisters that are graciously and courageously saying, yeah, that's me. Let's, in your best prayers, will you just ask Jesus to heal them? There's more work they have to do to be, learn the rest and limits and rhythms. I'm just going to pray in just a second. I just want to speak identity over you. God loves you so much. He, you don't have to perform. You're not alone in what you carry. The wheels are not going to fall off the wagon if you don't show up and do it. That you're worthy of rest. That God wants to give you peace and he wants your body to be in one with his love and learn the, the I love the message version, the unforced rhythms of grace. I pray right now in Jesus' name you would give yourself a break. That you would let good enough be good enough. And that you would experience rest and follow a new pace of life that would bring what Jesus promises, an easy yoke, a light burden, joy and rest for your souls. And I pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit that comes to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. That's good. Um, thank you for your courage. Love to hear testimonies a month from now going, you know what? That happened and this, this has been good. Let me know if you have testimonies. So I, I don't remember where I was in my notes. So we have to face the good, the bad, the ugly in our own heart when we create silence and solitude. We have to learn uh, to process the insecurity, the idolatry, the fantasy, the lies we believe, the motivations, the addictions. All of this will be exposed when you create solitude and silence in your life. Do you know that? You will be confronted with all of those things, insecurity, lies, performances, the need to prove because that's, it's in that space. The enemy doesn't want you to be alone with God. In solitude, we learn to hear the voice of God and we cut out all the other voices. We allow our success and our failures to, failures to slowly lose the power they have over us. And we, we, uh, as does the tyranny of approval and disapproval of other people, we come home to ourselves and to God in the discipline of the secret place. When we don't get enough silence and solitude, we feel distant from God. We end up living off of someone else's spirituality. How do we do that today? Podcasts. Quick devotionals. We feel distant not only from God, but we feel distant from ourselves when we don't get silence and solitude. We lose sight of our identity. 
We lose, lose sight of who we are and our calling. We lose the right perspective of our priorities in our life, and so our life gets out of whack. We get sucked into escapism, not engagement with God. We run on the energy. Uh, we run out of energy to do the things that matter most in life. And so what we do instead of resting with God in silence and solitude, we turn to Netflix, we turn to the internet, we turn to social media, we turn to food or alcohol or porn or consumerism, mindless escapisms. And in that escapism, we become easy prey for the tempter. We become emotionally unhealthy and we start living reactionary. All of a sudden, the smallest thing, the, the quick criticism at work, the email, that comment our spouse made, it triggers something. And we lose our temper and we plunge into despair. I will never change. I will always be this way. We live from a dysregulated, triggered, false self rather than our true self in God. You guys, we need silence and solitude. This is the practice to challenge the cultural formation of spiritual oblivion, of the attention economy, of the continuous partial attention. Henry Nouwen says, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. I love the story. Henry Nouwen got to meet Mother Teresa and get spiritual direction from Mother Teresa. And he asked her what he should do, and her response was very simple. He asked her about the direction of his life and the role he has as a priest. And she said simply this, spend one hour each day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything you know is wrong. Follow this and you'll be fine. <sighs> spend one hour a day, not in intellectual engagement with God, but in adoration. Such wise counsel. What is that? Adoration is bringing your affections, your loving response to a loving Savior in worship, in communion, in conversation. It's the woman bringing the alabaster jar of perfume. Adoration. And then don't do anything you know to be wrong. <laughs> Man, we could go pretty far with that. So I want to invite you as a church to practice this, to create or to build a secret place with God. How do you do that? Um, I'll talk about how in just a second. Um, let me just give you some stage of life conversations. There's three things you need to know about this. Number one, you need to know your personality, know your season of life, and know your stage of life. What do I mean by that? When you practice this, some of you are going to love solitude. You're like, you're an introvert, and you're like, oh, Pastor Darren said no to that. <laughs> And yes to myself with God. And that's okay. You're going to be fueled up. Some of you are so extroverted, the idea of being alone terrifies you. Both need intentional solitude with the Lord. So know that some of you, this will be easy. So like we'll talk about the discipline of community. So all you introverts in the room, you're going to be like, all the extroverts are like, yeah, this is my jam. You're my people. Introverts are going to be like, no, I prefer the solitude, but you need both. You need to discipline yourself in both. We'll talk about that when we get there, but know your personality. Know your season of life. Some of you are in a season of life that's not busy at all. You need the discipline of quiet time. Some of you are in a stage of life where you have absolutely zero time at all. I thought that was like an alarm. <laughs> Well, let me just skip that. Stage of life. Some of you have little kids, little babies. They're, see them as a grace. It will not always be this hard. In fact, Pastor Bill said to Alex and I years ago, in his experience, parents with preschool-aged children have the hardest time for spiritual life with God. And I was like, you get me. <laughs> and it's so true. And we, that's why we recommend the book Domestic Monastery where it sees child rearing. You, your role as a parent is the spiritual discipline itself. When you're in the middle of the night and for the fourth time your child cries out 
or when they get sick. You don't get to check out the next day and watch movies and recoup from that experience. You have to keep going and go back to work. You have to see that that, that actual thing that God's given you, this baby, this child, this kid, is yours to steward and is a grace. It is a spiritual discipline to parent them into Christ's likeness with loving acceptance. It will be hard, except life is hard. Just accept it, everyone here. Life is hard. There's no escaping the reality that life is hard. Choose to engage with it as a spiritual formation tool. So your quiet time when you're single, I remember not having kids. It was amazing. <laughs> I just wake up whenever I want, light the candle, go into my, that special room that was designed to encounter God. We anointed that thing with oil. God would meet me there. Man, everyone's getting rings. See, this is what I'm talking about. The noise of this modern moment. We're trying to preach the gospel for 45 minutes and we have 50 interruptions. I'm not mad. I'm just making it clear, clearly obvious. This sacred space that we get together is just a drop in a bucket for some of us. This is where God's going to meet some of us. People are encountering life experiences that will change them for eternity. You can do that every day. So I remember being in that room and I met with God, and then I had a kid who took that room, literally. <laughs> and I remember having to go from my beautiful leather-bound Bible, you know, that's highlighted to walking at 4.30 in the morning so Alex can sleep a crying baby while reading my, my scriptures. Look, that was in that stage of life, the only time I got with God. I stopped fighting and I just embraced it. So just, I just want to say, there will be a stage of life where it's harder or a stage of life that's easier, but either way, find ways to connect with God. Number two, I just want to say there is a power of incremental change. This is so important in my life uh, because I'm the all or nothing kind of guy. You probably didn't know that. Um, <laughs> but like, if you're an extrovert and being alone is really hard, start with 10 minutes and give yourself grace for 10 minutes and then grow that space. If you have a hard time waking up early, can I just say, don't watch so many shows at night and go to bed earlier. Don't be a victim to your escape habits. You're a powerful person in the kingdom of God. You're not a victim to that. Your kids do not victimize you. You chose to be parents. They're, they're not a trauma. They're a grace. They're a gift. Speaking, your singleness is not a curse. Paul, it, it, it's not something to be fixed with a, a partner. It's something to be given to God in worship. All you guys and gals out there that are single and dating right now, you have <laughs> the hardest environment to flourish in your purity and holiness as a Christian. I mean, the horror stories in our church of the dating scene. Men, do not define your masculinity by who you date or what you get to do on the date. Your masculinity is defined from the Lord. He's given you a masculine heart. He's given you masculinity as a strength to protect and honor, to serve with that power, not to use and manipulate and feel, fill the selfish desires that you have. That, by the way, are given by God for marriage. I don't know why I'm going off on this. Maybe someone needs to hear this. We need to create a better dating environment in the church. Where if you're part of the garden, don't be part of the problem of culture. Honor ladies. Ladies, the same with you. Stop defining yourself by the mate you're trying to get. Don't, you, you need to have a high standard of what is expected, even if that means it's going to prolong your desire for that companion for the rest of life. I know it's hard for you to hear that from a married man who's been married for 16 years. I don't know what it's like to date. It's got to be hard. It's got to be hard in this world. Bring yourself, bring your singleness as the primary way of worshiping Jesus. Bring all of that passion for a companion towards Christ. That is your spiritual act of worship. You're like, Jesus wants my uh, spirituality. He wants your singleness. He wants your sexuality. He wants your gender. He wants all of the passions you have that are designed for a partner in marriage or if not, dedicated to Jesus. All of that has an outlet in Christ. Go that direction, not any other way. Are we good with that? 
the only way you can steward that is in silence and solitude. That will be the container that keeps the fire alive. That will be the bucket that becomes a reservoir of life with God. Otherwise, it's poked, holes are poked, and you leak everywhere through the power of culture. Are you guys good? That was just a freebie. Anyways. <laughs> Maybe we should do a series on sex, love, singleness, and all of the other stuff. It's coming. Um, <laughs> Remember, it's practice, not performance. I'm way over on time. I'm going to give you, here's what to do in the secret place. Ready? I'm just going to list them off. Number one, shut the phone off. People, hey, I, I just want to say this. Listen, people think I got, I get mad. I'm not mad. Like when I got distracted by kids crying and I've asked, you know, kid, people to leave for that, like I want you to come back. I just, as much as I've been doing this for 15 years, it's, it's easy to get distracted and get thrown off. And I'm doing my best as a leader. I'm not mad if it rings. Look, I get, we all make, we're all doing these things. We all have phones. It all makes a mistake. I always quiet mine. I don't know why you don't. But anyways, um, <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Someone's probably trying to cry, call mine. I put my phone in my backpack on sleep mode because I get so distracted. So what to do in the secret place? Shut your phone off. Quiet yourself. Invite the Holy Spirit to fill you in that moment. Invite the Holy Spirit to bring. And then if some of you need to, I, I think everyone should start with worship. Worship is where I, it's, that's where I practice for Sunday. And I, I don't sing Always. I do sing in my quiet time. I'll just give you mine. I, I bring my gratitude to the Lord. I write out lists of thanks and I direct them to God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I, I direct them towards the Trinity and I, I communicate my gratitudes. And, and then sometimes I put on worship music in that moment and I get on, the, my, on my face because so much of my life is about myself and I puff myself up. And so I want to lay down before the Lord and worship. You don't always have time for that. I just, I'm giving you examples. Sing, sing your adorations. The, the other thing you do is you read scripture. So what should you do? Read lots of scripture all at once. Read the Bible in a year. Read the Bible in 50 days. Read the Bible in 30 days. You can do it. I have a, a discipleship plan coming out with some people I'm discipling. They're going to read the Bible in 50 days. It's called the Holy Shred. <laughs> for $9.99, you can get physically fit and spiritually fit. <laughs> Read lots of scripture. Memorize scripture. Don't read lots of scripture at all. Listen to the scripture. Don't listen to the scripture. Read one verse and meditate on it. It doesn't matter. Just get into the word of God. Pray in your prayer time. You can listen to the Lord. You can intercede for other people. You can pray in the spirit. I want to talk about this one. For those of you that don't know, we believe all the spiritual gifts are for the church today, including tongues. And there's two forms of tongues, xenoelia, known languages in the Greek, which is in Acts 2, and glossolalia, which is the tongues that Paul refers to as a heavenly language, angelic language that God gives as a gift to the believer for their personal edification. It's the only gift that you get that's for you. All the other gifts you get are for someone else. If there's a corporate setting, it's a gift for the church, so it needs interpretation. So if someone came up here and was like, <laughs> we can joke him. It's fine. It's, sometimes it's weird. Like, I don't know what this guy's doing. I've been in a corporate setting where this person starts speaking something. I think she's speaking a different language. I don't know. She had never spoken French in her entire life, and she prophesied over a couple who was called to plant a church in French. She didn't know them. She's never spoken. She spoke in a dialect. They knew they were bawling their eyes out. I hear this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, God, you're real. Holy cow. I've seen it. It's very rare. But the gift of tongues is for your edification. You get built up. It's your inner man. Your, the spirit is moving inside of you. I do this all the time. Paul says, I do it more than any of you. <laughs> I'm not going to be that bold. I, got, I know a lot of saints in the room that are better prayers than me. Pray in the spirit. Pray with your heart. Pray with your mind. Write prayers down. Intercede. Pray simple prayers. Pray big prayers. Just pray. Lastly, I want you to journal. This is what I do. This is what I was taught by Pastor Bill when I was 19 years old. 
journal, reflect on what God's doing, list out prayer requests. There's all sorts of things you can do in there. That's how you build it out. Okay, it's 1040. Wow, I went very long. Apologize, 9 a.m. Welcome back. So glad you came. For those of you that didn't come last week, you got two for one today. Here we go. Let's stand up and let's pray together. If you have kids, you're going to go get your children. And I would say bring them back because we're going to do some ministry time right now. But the goal for our time today is for you, and it will be every few weeks, you're going to get a new practice. So I think next time we do a practice, it will be Sabbath. We're going to talk about healing in two weeks, the ministry of healing. We're going to train you to heal the sick. And the very next practice is to take a day off and rest and honor the Sabbath. So as you go get your kids, that's fine. But the rest of us, can we just open our hands and close our eyes? Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to garden.church. God bless you.